Our Bible reading today is in two parts. The first part is Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, the three visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Marm while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham turned into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While that ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, now will I have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, Lord, I did not laugh. But the Lord said, yes, you did laugh. He called her out. Okay, the second verse is the birth of Isaac. This is 21, 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said that Abraham, that Sarah would have nursed children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Thanks be to God for the word of the Lord. (laughs) I don't know what translation Angela is reading, but it's a great translation. It is, it's such a, a fun and miraculous passage and and a little crazy. Now, I have to say that we sort of, uh, our lectionary, which is our cycle of reading, sort of skipped from Genesis chapter one last week to 18. And and Abraham and Sarah's story starts in chapter 12. So it's kind of like we decided to watch a Netflix season and jumped in at episode seven. There's a lot that's happened here. So I'm going to back up a little bit for us in this, uh, the the Abraham and Sarah story, like I said, starts in, in chapter 12. And they're still, um, they're quite aged at this point. And they are childless and desperate to have a child. And God speaks to them. The Lord calls to them and calls to Abraham and says, 
I am going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to uh, bless you with offspring greater than the stars in the sky. And Abraham is desperate for a child, and, and he thinks this is wonderful news. And then God tells him that he needs to, to move. He needs to move to another land. And he does. He moves to another land. And then there is a famine. He was staying with his father-in-laws, and then he moves to another land. And then there's a famine in that land. And so he goes to Egypt. And so now Abraham and Sarah are in Egypt. And Abraham has this weird calculation that he thinks that his wife, who is, again, quite elderly or quite older, I should say, uh, will be um, that the Pharaoh will want her for uh, himself. And so for whatever reason, Abraham decides to pass off Sarah as his sister. And sure enough, she is put into Pharaoh's harem. Women at this time had very little rights and... Uh, I don't, I don't know what this did, but it gave Abraham access to power and wealth because his sister was a part of Pharaoh's harem. The Pharaoh finds out that that's his wife and is very upset um, and, and sort of apologetic. He sends Abraham and Sarah away with money and with uh, a herd. And so off they go and they are now living uh, in another area and they are um, Still, they're holding some wealth, but still, God has not fulfilled this promise of a child or of offspring at all. And so they continue to, to hope and pray. And over this time, it, they continue to get these messages from God that, yes, you will bear a son. Yes, you will bear a son. Yes, you will bear a son. But here we are, uh, maybe 30, 40 years later, when we, we jump in today in chapter um, 18, and still no son. And, uh, and then you have this, this thing of these three visitors that come to see Abraham. And they are, you can imagine, sort of like Bedouin people. They are living out on the edge of somewhere. They've got herds. They're living in tents. They move along as the seasons and the available feed for their herds um, and water. And, you know, so they, they sort of travel around and they're in their tent and they're quite old at this point. Abraham is 99 years old. In their hearts, they're disappointed, probably. They're whatever desperation they had for a child. They had long since probably given up on God had in the, in the previous chapter, in chapter 17. Again, they get a word from God that they're going to have this child. And it says that that Abraham fell on the floor laughing. He thought it was so hysterical that they would have a child. And then in this chapter, they get these three visitors. And Abraham runs out to see them. And he promises, oh, please come, come sit. I'll, I'll get you some bread and some, some water. But he doesn't get them bread and water. He gets them the finest cakes. He kills the fatted calf. He prepares cheese and a whole spread for them. And he serves them, offering incredibly generous and gracious hospitality. And then one of these three visitors says to him, now, where's your, where's your wife, Sarah? Oh, she's in the tent still. It's hot, you know, stay in the shade. 
she's going to have that baby we keep talking about. And this time, Sarah starts to laugh. She thinks this is the craziest thing she has ever heard. And the visitors say, well, why did she laugh? What, what, what would be crazy about a, you know, 90-year-old woman having a baby? Sarah knows what's crazy about that. And she giggles. <laughs> and then the visitors say, is anything, anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? And, and then they say, you know, Sarah, why did you laugh? And she, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did laugh. And then, of course, as the story goes, uh, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. The, the name Isaac means laughter. It is the story of sort of a, a, a joy, uh, a surprise, a holy surprise. Our scriptures are full of stories of God doing the totally unexpected thing, the most improbable, impossible thing. We read this story and, oh my gosh, I forgot another story. Oh man, I want to back up a little bit because in the middle of this, I'm sorry, how did I forget this story? So, you know, they're still waiting. They're still waiting to have this child and they get desperate. And Abraham, Sarah says, have a baby with my, my slave girl. And he has a baby with the slave girl. Her name is Hagar. And they have a baby, and that baby's name is Ishmael. And so, so now Abraham has a child, but it's not the one that God has been promising them. Okay, sorry, I had to back up there. I told you we're starting in episode seven. I skipped the sixth chapter there, sixth episode. Anyway, okay, so all of this hope, all of this expectation, all of this longing, and yet it still didn't happen until it came along in Isaac when, when Abraham was 99 years old. My favorite part of this whole story is the question, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything that is impossible for the Lord? The question is left unanswered. It's sort of the visitors drop the question and leave it for Abraham and Sarah and for every generation since to ponder, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? Abraham and Sarah, of course, have Isaac. It's a question, though, that continues to come up. As, as Dina talked about the promises that God makes, this promise, this covenant that God declared to Abraham and Sarah becomes the covenant that then draws Israel together for the next 4,000 years. It is the covenant that we enter into as Christians uh, a couple thousand years later. And it's a covenant that always dances in circles around this question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? We see it in Jesus's ministry as he heals the blind, he raises the dead. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Every time the people seem to think this can't be done. We can't feed these people with these loaves and these fishes. And 5,000 people are fed. Our story, our biblical story, is one that always asks, is anything, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? 
those of us here, we, we live here in this post-enlightenment era when everything has to be rational. Everything has to be able to, to line up and document on paper. It needs to, all the columns on our Excel spreadsheets need to exact out to the, the precise number. And yet we are part of this biblical tradition that invites us to lean into this holy question. Is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? We are invited to develop a holy imagination, an imagination that, that calls us to look and look for a divine possibility where God might be working, where we might be called to, to lean in to God's yearning to create a new people. God continues to call people. God continues to, to pull forth people who will respond to this holy vision, this imagination of a, of a covenant people who will live together with a sense of divine purpose, of divine righteousness and justice and mercy and peace. Of course, that was the message of, of Jesus coming in to usher in the kingdom of God, this idea that all people are called to love and serve one another. Even us, and as Christians and in our United Methodist tradition, we, we ask before you're baptized, before you join the church, Will you resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? It's this question that says, will you enter into God's holy kingdom? Will you enter into a world where even the impossible is possible because of God's continuing faithfulness? Even those things that seem past, we can't do anything about it. It's just the way it is. We've always done it that way. Yes, God will be faithful, but we'll have to wait, I don't know, until we die for, for God's kingdom to come. Except this question still lingers. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything impossible for God? The church is a place where we respond to this question. We lean in. We say, no, there is nothing too wonderful for the Lord. Now, I will confess, sometimes in the church, our prayers get a little anemic, as Brueggemann says. We kind of hedge our bets with God. We, we sort of think, well, God might do that, but we'd rather not. So we're just going to say, no, we haven't, we haven't done it that way before. That's not the way that we do it. Or, or we're going to pray for for God's mercy and God's justice, but eh, we're not sure we want to actually do our part for that. We're going to, you know, hope that God will, will lead us towards racial reconciliation and racial uh, equality, but eh, it makes us uncomfortable. We'd rather not talk about it. We're going to lean into this thing in the church because we have declared that we will resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And so we enter into this holy covenant with God, a God that says there is nothing that is impossible. There is nothing that is too wonderful for God. And if we long for what God longs for, if we long to be a part of this holy covenant, if we long to be a part of a community of, of grace and peace, of hope and compassion, if we long to be a part of a world where peace and justice and righteousness meet, then we lean into this holy imagination 
we lean into this haunting question and we say, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? No, because we trust in God's faithfulness. And we offer ourselves, even as Abraham and Sarah did, even as Jesus did, even as Paul did, even as every disciple over these last 2,000 years has sought to say, God can still do something with us. God can still do something with, with me in my life and those situations that I have deemed to be impossible relationships that perhaps I have given up on, the hope that I sort of let fall to the side. It's not too wonderful for the Lord. Or God can still do something here with us at Riviera, even in this time apart. God can use this time to reform us into the community that God would call us to be going forward, you know, that when we gather together, we might be a people that are transformed by having been a part, that we are people that are awakened to new holy possibilities, that we are a people who are are looking for God to do something new in our midst. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? I don't think so. Even in the midst of this time in our country where we are struggling mightily to wrestle with our our history of of overt and covert racism and trying to to work our way out of this thing the systemic problem is anything too wonderful for the lord might god yet transform our country into a place of liberty and justice for all there are so many possibilities to lean into God's hope, to lean into this vision of the kingdom of God that Christ called us to. There are possibilities for us to be a part of this covenant with God and with all of God's people, to be a part of creating a holy holy people. Jesus called us into this priesthood of all believers, as Paul named it, this priesthood that, that seeks to be God's people, that, that hears this haunting question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And says, nope, we, we will offer ourselves to it. It seems impossible. Everything in our rational minds would say, what's the point? Let's just keep going. It can't get any better. And yet our faith calls us. It always calls us to lean in with holy imagination to offer ourselves with laughter and joy to whatever crazy thing God will call us to do next. And so I invite you today to be thinking about this question, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Where in your life have you uh, put the brakes on God? Where in your life have you given up hope? Where in your life have you resorted to other things because God's faithfulness maybe is feeling shaky to you? Where might you offer yourselves as Abraham and Sarah did to this eternal hope that God is still at work in our world? God is still at work in our lives. God is still at work in our country. There's nothing too wonderful for the Lord. God continues to call us. God continues to use us. Even in this time apart, we are called to be faithful. We are called to love and serve God. 
And so let's enter into with a sense of joy and imagination and hope and declare that there is nothing, nothing too wonderful for the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, there is so much that can hold us back. Like Abraham and Sarah, we have waited a long time. We can easily get discouraged. We can lose hope. We can get sidetracked. We can forget who we are and whose we are. So God, in the midst of our homes, in the midst of our families, and the midst of those places that we have given up hope on, and God, in our country today, in our communities today, inspire us with your holy imagination. Inspire us with a spark of joy and laughter and possibility that our whole lives would declare that there is nothing too wonderful for the Lord. We ask this in the name of our risen and resurrecting Lord. Amen.